1: I Herd Tell Show. Welcome back. It's Monday. You can feel it coming, can't you? It is July the 11th, year of our Lord. 2022 just keeps rolling right along. More than halfway through it now, believe it or not. Welcome to Herd Tell. I'm Andrew Donson. Hope you had a great weekend with you and yours wherever you are. You got a little bit of business to handle today. Our guest today, Jericho Hill. We are going to talk to our economist friend. He's been on the program many, many times before. But we're going to take a little different tack on it. We're going to talk about economy and the economics. And those things get into big words and buzzwords and math. And, you know, I don't do math. I don't like math. We need to talk about these in practical terms people understand, especially in election year. So we're going to do that. Practical economics, how the service industry affects things, how a sign that we saw that we put on social media and got a little bit of a conversation going, explain some of the things going on in the economy right now, like how workers are being recruited and what is getting their attention. It might surprise you, Jericho Hill, on the program today. Make sure you don't miss that. Uh, A touching story to end the program. We always try to end on an uplifting note. Parents repelling off a building. Memory of their child. It'll make sense. It'll touch your heart. Just trust me. We'll do that in the last segment. Also, Steve Bannon has emerged from the ooze he normally uh, lives in with his podcasting and other events. Remember, he's under a subpoena and a court uh, situation. Well, he's now announced that he will testify in front of the January 6th committee as long as it's publicly. That's a horrific idea. We'll get into that in just a little bit. First, let's start uh, with some domestic politics. Front page of The Washington Post on Sunday had an interesting headline and blurb. Uh, I won't read the whole thing. We will link it to you in the show notes. Make sure you read the whole thing for yourself. Never take my word for it. But uh, the headline is this at the White House. A 14-day struggle to craft a message and policy plan after Roe was overturned. And the blurb is this. Many Democrats were dismayed by President Biden's slow-footed response, but cheered his more forceful tone and actions on Friday. Now, this is relating to the executive order he issued. Uh, We have it linked over at Ordinary Times. You can read it in its entirety. Please do always read something in its entirety before you go off half-cocked on social media. It's not that long. You can read it. It's also searchable. Uh, It's in the show notes. Link it. Read the entire executive order. Most of it is just rewording things that are already uh, in effect. It's not really a whole lot of new stuff. There's stuff in there that's going to get challenged in court. We'll deal with all that another time. Let's stick to this headline for a second because it goes to our core value here of turning down the noise of the news cycle. Why did it take 14 days struggle to craft a message? That's a little bit of an unfair headline, but here's what is fair. We've criticized this president and White House before that they have messaging problems. They don't have a coherent plan a lot of the times. We've known that the Dobbs decision was on the docket for the Supreme Court for just about a year now, that there was going to be a ruling. And we knew that ruling was going to come down sometime towards the end of June because they always hold the biggest rulings to the end of the court. So we knew roughly when that was going to come out. Now, our timeline got shaken up a little bit because of that, quote unquote, leak that wasn't a leak. Somebody did that on purpose of the rough draft. So we've known for a couple of months what the ruling was going to be. We knew for a year it was coming. We've known for a couple months what it was going to be, and yet 14 days later, they're still getting flack from their own party, not just uh, people that are pro-life or on the other side of the political aisle, about their response. How in the world did you not have a plan in place for this? Now, the executive order came out Friday, so that's kind of a stopgag, but this is very consistent with one of our criticisms of the Biden administration. They don't seem like they have a plan. They seem like they're always reacting to things, and you shouldn't be reacting if you're in charge. You should have been prepared. You knew that there was at least a 50-50 chance, if not better, that Roe was going to go down with this particular makeup of the court, and you darn well knew for over two months that Dobbs was going down because you had the rough draft, probably because the person that leaked it wanted everybody to know and to react, but the White House didn't do much. Now, to be fair, there's not a whole lot they could do. Congress is pretty deadlocked right now. I'm busy with other things. It's a 50-50 Senate, but doing nothing makes it look like you did just that. Nothing. Even if there's nothing you can do. So now it looks like you're doing an executive order because it was two weeks of outcry and a couple months of being unprepared. And it looks that way because that's the way it is. I honest to God do not understand the comm shop of this White House. I can only blame it on leadership. President Biden, of course, is in the chair, so it's him, but really it's his staff, Ryan and company, that run the West Wing. They don't seem to know what they're doing. They don't seem to have a coherent strategy. Maybe he should get off Twitter and actually talk to some folks out in the field that are doing some of the operative work. Maybe they could give him some better advice because they seem to be obsessed with winning Twitter and reacting to Twitter. It's making them look foolish. It makes them look unprepared, and it makes their strategy and comms efforts look incoherent because they are that's on the president it's definitely on the president's staff and it's something they ought to do a whole lot better on especially on issues that they knew and should have seen coming a far piece off like this one was nobody to blame but yourself white house you should do better if you can't get rid of some bodies and find some people that can more tell right after this Welcome back to her, mayor Donaldson. A quick note on this January 6th committee uh, continues its work, but this headline, I hope, is just people getting attention. Steve Bannon, that would be the former uh, partner of Donald Trump, among a lot of other things. Remember when he was arrested on a re- dissident Chinese billionaire's yacht? Yeah, I remember that too. He got pardoned for that by Donald Trump, but he's currently. Uh, facing a trial for contempt of court charges for not cooperating with a subpoena for the January 6th committee. Well, now he's came out and said, with Trump's blessing, he added, that he's willing to testify as long as it's publicly. Um, One of my criticisms of the January 6th committee is they're not really equipped for what they're doing here. I understand it's getting some information out, but if you want a reckoning, a committee in Congress is the last place to go. The committee should not do this. They are not equipped to handle what Steve Bannon is doing. He wants to get their side of the story out in public. He wants to go in and fling a lot of poo like the monkeys at the zoo do at the guest. Now, you can't help monkeys fling poo, but you don't need to put it in the sizzle reel to try to get people to come to the zoo either. This is going to turn into a zoo if they invite Steve Bannon. He's not coming in good faith. He's not coming to testify. He's coming to gum up the works, make the committee look stupid, which they will play into because they're arrogant and want the uh attention if they're smart they should turn this down they should depose them on video like they have many many other people do not bring this man out in public and if you do the giant mess you make is going to be all on you because you're warned this is what's going to happen more tell right after this All right. You got economic questions. This is one of the guys with the answers or he claims to have them anyway. We're going to test that day because I got a couple of theories I'm going to throw at him. Good friend of the program. He is a contributor at Ordinary Dash Times Magazine. He is an economist. He works for one of them four letter government offices, which is because like golf, all the other four letter words were taken. Uh, he does know what he's talking about, though. We love having him on the program. He's a very good friend of ours. Jericho Hill, sir. How are you on this fine day?
0: I'm doing pretty good. It's a beautiful day up here in D.C. Looking forward to getting into the hot tub in a little bit. It
1: is today, but y'all were having NOAA level rainstorm there a little earlier. How'd that go?
0: Uh, You know, uh, there was a lot of social media uh, in Alexandria about how uh, we apparently got four inches of rain dumped overnight, and for the first time ever, our sewers did not back up. It did not flood. Uh, Apparently, our capital improvement projects that we've had actually have worked, so People are really happy around Alexandria the last couple of days. Infrastructure. Drink.
1: Uh uh yeah, it's that's not a Hurricane Matthew down around North Carolina where uh we got 21 inches of rain in something like three and a half hours or some ungodly biblical I mean, nonsense. That, that's it, gonna it flood no matter though. what.
0: That's gonna flood no matter what. Well,
1: it was really really funny was we had another hurricane two years later, and one of the bridges downtown had opened up a week before from being rebuilt from Matthew. That's how that goes. Anyway, let's talk okay. economics. That's enough about the weather. All right. Um I want to tee you up on this because I here's the problem with economics. We talk big words and nomenclature and theory and dead English guys and all this stuff with economics. And it kind of turns people off and their eyes roll in the back of their head. And they never get to the information they ever need about economics. So here's something practical for you, though. A lot of what's going on, and you're, we're going to talk about how weird the economic numbers are. How much of this is because, and we are in a post-COVID era, so let's start there. Did economics and our government and especially our populace, did we just completely underestimate how much of a service economy we have now? And it took COVID for people to really realize it. And we're still seeing the ripple effects of it because we haven't adjusted that viewpoint. Is that fair to say?
0: Uh, If you're talking about policymakers recognize the sort of impact that that what we call the service sector um, has on the economy and sort of the links and the chains between the service sector and other you know, sectors of the economy, financial housing, uh, government, military, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think that you know th- these are the things that you sort of see every day, but if nothing sort of stands out to you, it's not very tangible so you kind of don't notice it, right? Um, and that's true based on you know just what we do when we go to the grocery store every day um, versus you know someone that's looking at data, um, on a spreadsheet, you know, do an econ forecasting. If we don't notice something, like yeah, it, it's not going. If it doesn't pique our interest, then we're 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 not going to sort of notice those little finer details. Only when something is, is is comes to the forefront, which is what we have here with COVID. You know, basically, you know, shocking the system. Um, and then also, you know, let's let's also keep in mind that at the when COVID happened, um, I think you can argue that you know one. Um, the white collar work uh, fundamentally has changed for a significant portion of of white collar workers now working from home, uh, a much larger extent. Um, It's, 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 it's changed preferences for in office versus home. It's changed preferences for commuting, you know, a whole lot of folks got to not commute for two years, you know, um, and then of course that, all translates down to the service sector where they're you know directly impacted by the fact that hey downtowns have been shut down for well not shut down but have been uh, lacking business activity for for a while and and that service sector has had to sort of figure out what the heck they're doing and how they're going to get people and how they're going to continue on yeah
1: Yeah. because the problem with the service sector is Our politicians love to talk about uh, manufacturing and industry. We're going to bring back the manufacturing job. You know, every politician ever says that Uh, Biden says it every three weeks, which, you know, I don't even blame him because he said it for 50 years. It's just part of his stick at this point. I'm not even blaming every
0: politician says it.
1: But what COVID really showed was and it's a broad term because we think service workers were thinking, you know, Fast food workers, grocery yeah. workers, customer mm-hmm. service. But really, that includes things like insurance, finance. Most of banking now is actually service
0: sector, believe it or not. even though uh, the finance, Any package being delivered to your house.
1: The transportation industry has mm-hmm. gone towards the service industry, especially with um, what they call last mile transport. And I don't want to make yep. rolls in the back of their head, but that is a paradigm shift in how business is done is last mm-hmm. mile transportation. Yeah, that's what co- I was
0: referencing. Yep. But this country
1: is a service economy now. And we, how do we, it's get been, heads? it's
0: been a surface economy for, for decades,
1: but how do we get people's heads around that? Because I, I really think we talk on the show all the time is part of the problem of getting through the noises. You got to get the nomenclature, right. Make sure everybody's using the same terminology and same definitions. I think a big part of this is, and I'm guilty of it too. I, and I don't even think it's anybody's fault. I think it's just kind of how it happened how do we change this to get people to talk about this is a service country economy now i think some estimates and it, it's it varies because of the number they're talking 60 70% of our economy could fall into this definition that should change our politics it should change our policy and it should change how we talk about it online and amongst our peers shouldn't it
0: it should but let's let's go back to think about you know the us as as a big ship in the ocean right and it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy to have that ship change its course just a little bit, right? So we have to think about what the U.S. was back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and we can go through the 80s if we want, to what we are today. And you're essentially asking for people who grew up when the U.S. was still a manufacturing economy to now shift their worldview that they grew up with and know that it's a service sector. That takes generations, you know, and I I, like... And also think about right in those years that I referenced, um, labor unions, particularly in the manufacturing sector, were incredibly powerful, right? And they they still have some of that uh, messaging power today. But you know, there's not really a corollary for for service for a lot of the service sector workers. You know, particularly the service sectors that we really think about. Um, so I, I think that you, you've got sort of that coordination and messaging you know, challenge as well that maybe didn't exist when we were fairly easy to wrap your head around manufacturing issues.
1: I got a I, just personal note here, and I, but I think it illustrates it. I got a picture from my mom here a couple of weeks ago of my dad when he was, I think, 19 or 20 years old. And he's wearing this cutoff Army fatigue shirt because his summer job that year, he was working at Youngstown Sheet and Tube. And he was doing the hot work. They run around on the furnaces. The reason he was wearing the cutoff shirts, because you wear the big leather sleeves and leather stockings to work around the furnaces. That was his summer job, right? Because he had ends with the union and new people and you know how those sorts of things that company doesn't even exist anymore. Those kind of jobs for 19, 20 year olds without a college education don't exist anymore. That's one lifetime ago. And, And our family was there for Black Monday where they pretty much wiped out, you know, Youngstown in one fell swoop that wasn't, I mean, it sounds like, you know, 50, 60 years ago is a long time ago, but it really wasn't in economic terms. This thing went fast. And I think the last 10 or 15 years with the way the internet and social media, I think we're seeing another one of those moments now where everything's changing faster than we really, really realize it is. Is that fair to say?
0: Uh, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, I think we're at a, one of those technological inflection points. Um, I mean, we can go back. The, the the simplest corollary is, you know, what happened to the to the work environments when we actually got computing it, you know, uh, and that radically changed what people could do um, in the office and what kinds of analyses could be done. It radically changed what we do in economics because now we could actually model things uh, without going to a massive mainframe computer that took up three stories in a building. Um, yeah, I mean, we're we're transitioning. We've got a, we've got a, a generation. Uh, the the millennials that have now gone through three economic crises versus the Gen Xers that really went through maybe one. Right under under Carter and early Reagan, you know, that was kind of the the most tangible one. Um, you know, and then you've got the the Gen Zers coming in, and they're they're starting their their um their journey in the in the labor market coming out of a of a recession you know, and, and where things are, are, are a little bit uh, weird. Now, again, it's weird, like they're, they're dealing with, you know, insecurity, they're, they're like, they can't afford, a, they don't think they're ever gonna be able to afford a home or at least any home that they, they would want. Um, but at the same time, unemployment is at levels that, you know, economists, you know, five years ago would say are, are, are well below what we would expect a normal functioning economy to be at, um, at least for the U.S. You know, but so we have this very weird Jekyll and Hyde economy right now, especially if we compare it to the rest of the world. It's just really fascinating. Like we think about the choice architecture that we had in the last couple of years, how, how we look very different than Europe right now, which is the best sort of uh, comparison I can, I can use.
1: And that's why I bring up the Youngstown thing and the steel thing again. and I don't want to harp on the point, but I think it's important for people to understand. And again, it's personal because my family was involved. so this is you know part of our part of the lore of my family is you know my father got offered those jobs, turned it down, went to West Virginia to be a teacher and he has a nice retirement while most of those folks struggled for years and years and years. Because they left the steel mills to go work for GM and Alliance because they thought that'd be safer. And, well, you see how that worked out. Mm -hmm. But the reason I bring that up is the steel industry in places like Youngstown and Bethlehem Steel, and you can go to Lehigh Valley or wherever else you want to talk about, they all died in the 70s and 80s. But it wasn't the 70s and 80s that killed them. It was the 50s and 60s because they never upgraded what they were doing. They never never advanced. They never revolted. And then when we rebuilt Europe and Japan post-World War II, they had all the new stuff and they had all the new technology and we fell behind. The reason I bring this up is I wonder if the reason some of this doesn't make sense is there's other parts of the world that might be evolving a little bit faster on some of this stuff than we realize. And maybe it won't be as dramatic as that, but is there a danger of this that we're not adapting and moving forward as fast as we probably should have as a world leader like we did with steel where they were running 30s and 40s furnaces in the 70s and that just ain't gonna work?
0: I think that we've still done a pretty good job of capturing sort of the, the, the economic dy- dynamicism of, of entrepreneurs and, and business starters who still prefer to come to the US to create those businesses. Um, over Europe, over Japan, um, you know, so I, I think that we still have that infrastructure in place. I, I do think, however, the emerging choice seems to be uh, a European choice of accepting um, a little bit less of economic growth, but having a much better balance of life, um, I would say, and um, Versus, you know, sort of what we've had in the US, which has been sort of a hyper focus on product, profits and productivity at the expense of people working 60 hour weeks. So what's what is sustainable, right? Where where are we going with choices, especially as the developed world is getting richer and richer?
1: Well, the problem there is, and I'll just point it out, if I'm working a 60 hour week in management and you're working a 60 hour week as an hourly employee and you're box kicking and I'm at a computer, those On paper and in economic and on the spreadsheet, those look like the same thing. Those are not the same thing, though, Uh, No, 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 they're not. And it's really hard. Just take me behind the scenes, but use small words so even I can understand it, though. When you're on the academic side, when you're analyzing this sort of thing, how do you get some kind of a variable in there to account for that? Because on paper, it's the same thing, but those are two very different things. And yet, that's exactly what you as an economist need to explain both to policymakers and to the public, though, isn't it?
0: Well, okay. So let's break this down a little bit more. So we look at, you know, what is what, how how many hours per week are people working? And we've seen in the developed world, Europe and the U.S., that the number of hours a typical worker is working has been declining. Um, a little bit more in Europe than than here, um, you know, especially compared to you know several decades ago. Um, but you know, we sort of, I think. Uh, at least on a white-collar perspective, uh, saw that a lot of our work time, which I use the air quotes there for, um, was spent in fairly unproductive uh, ways. Uh, It seems that the the, the meetings that we used to have uh, now when we get to the Zoom environment uh, have been a little bit less, and people have uh, accepted that maybe the traditional nine to five in a lot of places, is not necessarily the thing that, that actually works best for folks. And we've seen some flexibilities there. I, I think the biggest challenge for the US economy compared to Europe um, is Europe's already sort of had the sort of lifestyle focused uh, economy for a little bit. They've been better about work-life balance and, and benefits, whatnot. Look, we know some countries, we laugh at it. They take a little you know, siesta in the middle of the day or they have a wine hour at one o'clock they're generally happier than we are here in the U.S. Um, but, you know, we, we we in the U.S. have had this essentially uh, what, I, what I think a lot of us have called a case-shaped uh, economy forming. forming, And I think COVID really exacerbated that. What I mean is, um, and I, I've used this analogy a couple of times, we've got our service sector workers who are having to show up into the office, still having to commute, um, still working, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and then you've got the white-collar workers, like myself is in there, that are that are you know continuing to work their, their normal hours, but doing so at home without commuting, um, and much more, you know, having much more pleasant circumstances to do it. And for you know, up until COVID, the the, the wage gains were, were almost exclusively happening amongst that white-collar upper income set. COVID has flipped that switch a little bit. We are seeing wage gains um, at the bottom of of income earners, uh, far out far outpacing those of the highest of the in the, in the of the highest earning uh, workers. And actually, uh, many estimates suggest that even with inflation being a little bit ridiculous at this point, um, the income gains for low income workers has outpaced inflation in the U.S., yeah, which he- is
1: interesting but you've said life balance three times now so we're going to come in and hone on that right after we take a break our friend jericho hill great economist great friend explaining it so even i can understand it doing a little economics and plain speak today with our buddy more with him on Hurtel right after this back to Hertel we're talking economics but we're trying to kind of keep it on a lowest level one so i can keep up with him because he's got all them fancy letters after his name as an economist our buddy jericho hill joining us uh i wanted to ask you though because you keep talking about life balance and life and work balance and cost of living is the number one thing in america and we've been talking to our british friends they just deposed their prime minister one because he was lying about stuff but two they're having a cost of living crisis which hard to put up with shenanigans when you have a cost of living. Crate. Cost of living is going to be the, ty- the top issue in our election this year also, I believe. But I found something interesting this morning. I was in line at Bojangles. For the folks that aren't fortunate enough to know, that's a fast food place that does biscuits and chicken and things like that. Wonderful organization, great restaurant. But they had a sign sitting right beside the drive through this morning. I put it on my Twitter feed. I'll link to it in the show notes. And it was to get people to hire them. You've seen these signs all over the place. But I want to talk about the order that these things are on the signs because this is a major company. They means test these things. They don't put them out accidentally, right? This is a produce sign. I'm going to read them in order. Number one, earn extra pay $250 every time you refer an employee that stays for 90 days. And that's got an exclamation point after it.
0: So I stopped you there just to say, why are they leading with that? Because $250 is the biggest number that they have, right? No. Uh, and, yeah. you know, you know, you know, 250 versus, you know, 15 an hour, like obviously 15 an hour is bigger with, with a lot of hours, but you know, 250 boom, right there. Quick money, quick hit. Yeah. Get your friends to come work there. Boom.
1: And if you're making 14, $15 an hour, not an insignificant amount of money either.
0: No, it is not.
1: Uh, number two would be a big point for me. Delicious free meals. I'm hey, free food. I'm in, I, I I'll work like a dog for you for free food.
0: Hey, yeah, you're right. Free meals, and guess what? Guess what's gotten expensive recently? <laughs> Food.
1: Bojangles fries, but that's why I got the seasoning at the house. But that's neither here nor there. You can get it on Amazon.com, folks. But this is where it gets really interesting. Okay, I'm just going to go through these. You stop me when you want to talk about it. Next item: work the schedule best for you. Mm-hmm. Free. So time- I'm going to I'm going to stop you there
0: because there is there's some interesting um, other sort of alternative work schedules that have come out. Uh, you mentioned the Lehigh Valley area and some of those manufacturing areas that are still there. Um, I, I've I've seen some some programs uh, and some studies done of some of these manufacturing plants now offering a nine o'clock to two o'clock shift schedule. Guess
1: who that's for? Named it.
0: I mean that is for mama.
1: Yeah, because and we talked about this on the show before. The the sector of the working, the hourly workers that just got absolutely creamed was the 35 hours and under. Because when school is out, they cannot work because those nope. were jobs when kids are out of school, or once the kids get home from school, they'd go pick up some hours. They got absolutely decimated. And that really hurt a lot of these service sector companies because those are if you run a restaurant, if you run a customer-facing service business. Those are your float workers and peak hour workers. And that's why you see a lot of these problems with these types of businesses, isn't it?
0: And so, and so, yeah. And, and because of course, right now, they're also struggling to get people into the door. Um, their, the GOP was out there on Twitter yesterday saying that 50% of small businesses are struggling to hire folks. And I'm like, yes, your unemployment rate is less than 4% again. Um, we still have a little bit of folks that, that we would expect to come back. Our labor force rotation rate is about a percentage or two point lower than it was um, in like 2018, 2019, I believe. Uh, so a little bit of slack there, but not a whole lot. But the, the point is, you know, they're saying all oh, these small businesses are struggling to hire people. Yes, it, it's, a, it's a labor market. It's, it's, a, it's a workers market right now. If you're not offering and incentivizing these folks to come work for your company, some other company will, and Bojangles is, is, is reaching out to that. So they're saying we're going to give you flexible schedules. So if you are a working mom and you want to do a nine to two, seven days a week, you can. Like they're going to find ways to make that work because that's that beats that means that that worker doesn't go to KFC down the road.
1: Now this next one blew me away, and I think this is a this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's not a big deal that they're offering it because companies are offering. I think it's a big deal that they're offering it because that means people have been demanding it. Mm-hmm. This is right on the side. This is the fourth thing from the top, other than free food, which we're yeah, really all going this
0: to. tells you is that workers have some bargaining yeah. strength right now. But
1: listen to this one because this—if if it was a newspaper, this would be above the fold. They used to say, you know, the part laying mm-hmm. there that you want them to see: free telemedicine and telemental health. Mm-hmm. That—that's that, a. You want to talk about culture shifts and economics and then hiring?
0: There's your one right there. Well, I mean, think about, you know, what technology got to the point where it's very easy to do telemedicine. It's very easy to have. Um, and these are often staffed by by uh, nurse practitioners, um, at least as a, as a first pass. Um, and, you know, I mean, we have this with my with my health insurance company. You know, I can do tele, telemedicine visits uh, instead of wasting an hour of commuting. I can do a 15 minute meeting um, and they for most things, they can diagnose you, you know, threw that up, you got a cold, okay, we'll put in the cold prescription to the pharmacy. When you get off your work shift or your kid comes home, you can come over to the pharmacy and pick it up and, you know, whatnot. Technology makes it super easy. People are able to now, like, think about 10 years ago, we couldn't do this because we didn't have these smartphones that literally everybody has, no matter what your income level is. Everybody's got a smartphone, which has video capability. So, so now we have this accessibility. So they're saying, look, we're going to, Engage a subscription service. That's what they do. There's companies out there that do, you know, have primary care and nurse practitioners, you know, ready to, to talk to folks. CBS has this with minute clinics if you walk in. It's the same business concept. Um, and you know, they can they can provide that because the cost is actually fairly low if you do it for a big pool of employees. Um, but it is a benefit that means that they don't have to think about it. They don't have to think about how do I get to the doctor's office? When I don't have a car and I rely on the bus and the bus is late. I don't, you know, what if my kid's home sick and I, I still need to go and, 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 and have, you know, my, a regular checkup. I, I'm feeling stressed and anxious and I want to do some, some, some counseling, some, some, some tele, you know, mental health stuff. Um, you know, again, like how do I fill that around my schedule? Well, guess what, right? These sorts of, of online sort of virtual environments are now allowing people to do that. It's a, it is it, it's an easy benefit i think for a for a big company to 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 do um i think it's fairly low cost but it, it signifies that hey we're willing to put this for you know forward as a benefit and we're going to have that as a subscription that you don't have to worry about and i think again like if kfc is not offering that guess who's going to walk in the door right you're making their life easier
1: and somebody that's been a manager um because I was doing that before I, you know, you and I
0: both, you know, you and for, I both. <laughs> but you'll,
1: under, you'll understand what I'm talking about here. I think major companies have figured this out, that a lot of the really hard, nasty stuff that managers have to do. I'm talking about the stuff that makes you want to quit and walk out the door right now today. I think a lot of these companies, I need to write about this. A lot of these companies have figured out that they've been having their managers do a lot of stuff that mental health ought to have been doing, not their managers because and you've been in that you know they want to talk about there something went wrong at home uh, something went wrong with the the significant other yeah. kids sick kids not behaving well i've got a problem with so and so i'm depressed today i'm whatever that's a lot of your managing time in the office if you got folks that have you know telemental health where they have a counselor look i tell you, i've been taking telemental health for two and a half years since covid shut down va's mental health and they they've brought it back some I've got one tomorrow with my, my my psychiatrist, you know, to dial in my meds. I'll have a 15-minute phone call with him to dial it in instead of spending two hours driving up there. I think these companies have figured out not only is it good business, not only is it ethically and morally good, it's good for business because now you can give these folks a, you know – 30 minutes on clock telehealth mental health and you're taking pressure off your managers and you're
0: getting a happier, better employee, not just, not just pressure off managers. I do agree with you that there's, there's definitely some of that. I will say that, you know, I'm not sure this is true for every federal agency, but my federal agency has an employee assistance program. Um, and yeah, I can do it virtually. I can do it in person, but I can have, you know, X number of counseling appointments in a given year. I have used that in the past. Um, you know, and it came in quite helpful. Now, what I will say is, you know, the company is also getting a benefit. If they have, if they're able to improve their workers' physical and mental health, those are workers that stick around a little bit longer. Um, Service sector, you know, one of the big challenges is the uh, hiring and retention of employees, right? There are costs associated with having to, you know, reach out, post jobs, interview, and keep employees on the books. You know, so to the extent that you're able to have your employee, reduce your employee turnover by a significant margin that improves your profitability and survivability of a business. It has a very nice side effect that your employees are happier, healthier and, and downright better people. And yes, your managers do a little bit less of counseling. Yeah.
1: Now, the next one, um, a lot of people would blow this off and think it's just pro forma, but it's a big deal if you're an hourly employee, weekly pay um you know we we both work on a different (laughs) what's the famous intro to leverage like we work on an alternate uh fiduciary arrangement uh we we have a little different lifestyles now but we've been those worker hourly employees we've done that kind of work that's a big deal to people that are just trying to get by weekly pay isn't it It as an economist that's an indicator too isn't it
0: it is a much bigger deal than i think maybe even you appreciate there is a lot of research out there, Andrew, that shows in terms of behavioral finance and behavioral econ, that the closer you make when someone gets their paycheck and when they have their expenses hit, right? And you know expenses hit on the 1st, the 5th, or the 15th of the month, that's the typical due dates, the closer that you, manage, you have to align the, the income that they're getting to their expenses, the better off the financial stability of that employee and their household is going to be. Irrespective of them earning more money, the same amount of money, but the closer you time it, the better off that household is going to be. Very simple explanation. Um, And this comes from a buddy of mine that uh, was a Marine and talked about him trying to figure out, this is going over to Afghanistan, the C-130, you know, Oh, do I have enough in the account to cover the mortgage for the next two months, you know, or, or these other expenses? You, 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 you reduce the, the mental accounting that folks have to do, the mental checkbook that they have um, to ensure that they have cash flow to, to meet that. You know, like, how much do I really have to save, you know, to make sure I can pay my next bill? Um, you know, that, that's important. That is, that is mental energy that is now not going to be taken up by having to worry about that and instead it can do something else
1: yeah i i think and the last company I worked for, even though I was on the management level, I was paid weekly just because the pay structure of the company, hourly management, unless you were at the executive level, we all got paid weekly. That's how the whole company was set up, which was actually kind of cool because you could talk to your guys and commiseries like, Hey, I'm getting paid every Friday, just like you. Let's just get through, you know, you could spend it a little bit. Um, and frankly, about half of them made more money than I did. The, my top four or five guys made almost double what I made, but you could spend it and be like, Hey, we're all just trying to get to Friday and get our paycheck, that kind of thing. But I, I think a lot of folks that don't know just blow past that one and wonder, why is that so high up the list? That's why I'm not a great get, job explaining
0: it. Again, I, mean, I could point to a number of studies. I'm happy to do that in a post later on in Ordinary Times. But yeah, there's, there, there, are, there are often very few one weird trick to solve things. And better timing income to expenses is literally one of those simple little one weird tricks that actually works and doesn't cost anybody really anything
1: yeah it's it's just rearranging your pay schedules
0: a little bit and since most checks are electronic you know i mean it's not like there's a paper being cut anymore
1: yeah any company of marginal you know what even even small businesses now everybody's direct deposit because of the there's also uh, benefits to doing that on the company side of it the rest of this list is um career advancement and then the hourly pay for team members and shift managers i think there's a little psychology here involved we've been talking about the, the the economic side of this like you said, they opened up with the twenty two hundred fifty dollar bonus up front, then they talk about weekly pay, then career advancement. that's how people think about it short term first long term, second. Uh-huh. I found this little sign very interesting way to talk about practical economics. We opened up talking about how economics gets too big wordy wordy and too many you know charts and graphs and too much math, and you know I don't do math. This is the practical level of economics that I think folks they can get their head around. But at the same time, we also tend to ignore it the most, don't we? Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, we as economists do often uh, ignore this, part, although we're getting better at it when we're considering sort of non-monetary benefits the folks are are, are are realizing when they go to work. Um, yeah, and I, again, like I do think, you know, this is this is the corollary to the white collar uh, work now. Um, are you going to force us to come back to the office or are we going to be able to to be home-based a bit more? Um, and I will tell you, uh, even you know, within the federal government, we, we have a, uh, there's a, definitely a, a difference in agencies in terms of what their telework positions are going to be post all pandemic, but we're seeing those plans sort of get finished and whatnot. And you have uh, agencies running from full-time telework to everybody in the office four days a week. Um, it's very telling where the good employees are going from those agencies that are requiring them to be in the office quite a bit. Um, it, it, it seems to me that there is a, a shift afoot of, of folks leaving agencies that are not offering that telework benefit.
1: Yeah, and it's easy on something like the federal level where everybody's slotted and everybody, you know exactly what they're making, exactly what their benefits are. So if they start <coughs> moving around, it's gonna be obvious why pretty, pretty fast because you've got a pretty good
0: control. Yeah, and, and, and for folks that may not know, no, you cannot as, as someone in this world be home based and be collecting a DC locality pay, which is which is much higher than say Omaha, Nebraska, and then live in Omaha, Nebraska, and book the difference. No, that there are things that are in place in every contract that pretty much make that. Uh, either highly impossible or just flat impossible. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's the West
1: Virginia rule in DC because everybody started moving across the border right there and they're still driving to the train station and riding in and getting the split. So,
0: so, you know, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you still have to be able to get into your home office and whatnot on, on a, on a fairly quick turnaround. Um, which you, you couldn't really do, ex- except it would be prohibitively expensive if, if you did, if you lived anywhere else. But, you know, I think that's worth pointing out that I think that we're going to continue to see that, you know, we, we've seen, you know, other businesses, um, you know, say, oh, we're going to, we're going to go back to what we were doing. And, and they've had to sort of change that. I mean, heck, even at my own agency, I, I've seen the discussions, like even in management, you know, the, it starts off managers will be in the office this many days a week, and then, a couple weeks later, oh, it's been reduced a little bit. Oh, it's been reduced. I mean, people respond to incentives. That's economics. Everything yeah. else is details, my friend. All you need to know is figure out what the incentive structure is. That That's all That's all the economics you need to know.
1: You get yourself another PhD there if you figured out all the VPNs people are coming up with to try <laughs> to get that travel person Anyway, uh, just, just a minute or two left here, though, but I have to ask sure. you the question. Everybody's talking about inflation, cost of living, things like that. We're starting to hear rumblings from people who generally know what they're talking about, though, that a lot of people thought recession was inevitable. A lot of people talking now, they think it may not be as inevitable. We may have avoided the worst of it. There may be inflation may be peaking. Prices might be peaking. Do you buy that talk? I know you don't like to predict things, but there's some uh, people been- that know what they're talking about that think the recession thing might not be as big a monster as it was. Not that we're out of the woods yet. But it's maybe backed off a little bit. So,
0: true? so, so I would say it like this: um, We are seeing some positive signs that inflation uh, has peaked or is peaking. Uh, home price growth uh, and should should decelerate with the Fed jacking up, you know, the Fed funds rate, which then impacts the mortgage rates. And we've seen mortgage rates go from three percent to five to six so percent. That will slow things down a good bit. That will reduce the housing and shelter inflation that that's been driving a bit of that. Um, we're seeing uh, oil has come down a good bit. Uh, And I will say, just as I said, that Biden probably gets got too much blame when oil went up. He's going to get too much credit when oil comes down. Uh, That's just the vagaries of the world economy, you know, but but that that's a positive sign that we're seeing. Um, So, yes, I I, I am optimistic that the worst of the inflation spike is over. I think this is more like a wave, though, that comes over uh, the beach and then it takes a while for everything to drain back into the ocean. Um, sort of where I am right now, I think maybe we've peaked, but I don't think it's going to, I think it's going to stick with us a little bit longer than we wanted at some elevated levels. We're going to have some flooding for a couple of days, so to speak. Now, um, you know, and then, you know, we also looked at, you know, hey, employment's doing great. As I said, like, I I wanted to start this with Andrew uh, to say, you know, we have a very weird economy. We have high inflation. We have incredibly low unemployment. We have wage growth that's better than most European, actually pretty much all European countries at this point. Um, and so this is one of those weird things. You know, um, Could the Fed have possibly engineered a soft landing? Yeah, it's possible. I think that it's, it's probably best to think about what might happen. You know, I might think of this as more like a 2001 recession versus like a 2008, right? 2008 was, was pretty bad and lasted for years, and impacted people. 2001, we did have a mini recession, and then things just kept on going. And maybe we're looking at something more similar to that. that that's where I am right now. That, that's sort of my thinking. Um, I, I I really don't want for, to to fall into the trap of, you know, the classic the a recession only using one metric, and, and that's a recession. Um, I think we'll see a slowdown. I, I think that you know uh, we will see parts of the economy more impacted than others. But could we possibly be avoiding the worst of the worst? Yeah, I I think we are. I think we're gonna thread that particular needle, but I, I don't, predict, I don't want to predict that there's not going to be some pain. Um,
1: yeah, good stuff as always. Our good friend, Jericho Hill, let folks know where they can follow you on social media and your writing until we get you back, which is going to be soon. Cause it's going to be a whole summer of this economic news. I'm afraid my friend.
0: Oh yeah. Well, you know, now that I'm done with all my other stuff down South, I'll be, uh, be uh, more available. You can find me on Twitter at Moto Economist. Uh, and you can find me at Ordinary Times, same darn name, Moto Economist. That's where you'll find me at
1: he does great work we're going to get him back writing at ordinary times now that his schedule is going to settle down a little bit and we will definitely keep having him in the heavy rotation because you do good work thank you so much
0: sir appreciate you. all time. right no problem sir bye-bye yeah.
1: Welcome back to Hurtown. I'm Andrew Donaldson. This story, uh, to go to our good uh, news end of the program segment, I always try to end on a good note, uplifting note here. Uh, let's go to Burlington, Vermont, NBC Five. A couple from Shelburne, Vermont, who recently lost their daughter after long and often difficult illness, is giving back to the nonprofit that made their child's wish come true. Pete and Marge Siriski will take part in this weekend's fundraiser for Make a Wish Vermont, which will see them rappelling off the roof of a downtown Burlington hotel. It's part of an effort to raise. $100,000 or more for the organization. I think Make-A-Wish gives families a lot of hope, a feeling of normalcy, Marge said. The Sarisky family had hoped in 2019 when the organization granted a wish to their daughter, Kira. She received an outer space-themed bedroom that was specifically outfitted so she could foster kittens for various shelters, and animal groups. They are my patients, she had told them of her kitten care in an August 2019 story for uh, NBC10 Boston. Kira had a particularly cruel form of Eller danlos syndrome, not sure I'm pronouncing that right, which weakens joints and organs. She was left with significant mobility challenges, but just loved being a kitten. Foster mom, for me, being able to give them a chance to grow up and be adopted is really rewarding, Kira said in the 2019 report. Sadly, she died last year at the age of 17. Her parents still foster kittens in her memory, though. This was kind of her way of feeling like she was doing something in return, Pete Cedransky said of his daughter's volunteer work for the Humane Society of chittenden county and other groups because other people were always trying to care for her the couple's fundraising adventures on ropes for make a wish vermont comes on what would have been kira's 19th birthday this weekend i think she would have been proud of her mama and daddy marge said adding that she and peter proud to be giving back to the nonprofit that gave them a lifetime of memories with kira marge said she believes her daughter will be with her in spirit as she repels off the hotel roof on saturday great story Uplifting theme, even though a little dark. Make a wish does great work. Cool way to remember them. Repelling is a lot of fun too. Going down the side of a building will certainly get folks' attention. That'll do it for Hurttale today. You want to reach out to us at show Gmail.com, Hurtel Show on the Twitter. Of course, us and our guests. Uh Twitters are always on the lower third graphics. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you're subscribing, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, wherever, Facebook feed, big our radio partner. We sure appreciate you. That'll do it. We'll see you again tomorrow. Uh, wherever you are across the street or around the world. We hope you're well. We hope you're well-fed. And we'll talk to you again real soon for more Hurt Tell. All the music on Hurt Tell is provided under a creative content license from Monstercat.com. So much love you.